Welcome into Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. Appreciate you checking out the show. On today's show, we're continuing our team by team, division by division season previews with the Tennessee Titans. We've already covered the AFC East and AFC North, and we did the Houston Texans on the last episode. So if you missed any of those, be sure to check them out. Follow us on Twitter at TNF underscore podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. I'm joined today by Mr. Parker Hurley. Parks, how you doing? Doing good. Yeah, an interesting team in the Tennessee Titans, a team that um, you could argue last year had a season from hell, and then you walk away and you do look, they had a 9-7 and seven record. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what they can do, hopefully building off of that in year two of Mike Vrabel. Yeah, Parks, and just some off-season housekeeping here. Um, the Packers ended up hiring their OC, Matt LaFleur. They promoted their tight ends coach, Arthur Smith, the OC, which you'll talk about. And um, they acquired Ryan Tannehill in a 2019 six-round pick from the Dolphins in exchange for a fourth-round pick in 2020 and a seventh-round pick in this draft that just happened in 2019. We can get into the quarterbacks part if you want to talk about that, and you can get into the offense as well. Um, Blaine Gabbert is out. Marcus Mariota is going to be the starter again. He's on the last year of his deal. Um, and then Tannehill, like I mentioned, will be the backup. Right. It's going to be interesting. And like you said, this is the fifth year of Marcus Mariota. So they, you know, it's make or break time for him. It's decision time for him. We're going to get into some of his skill players, you could argue it's the most set up for him to potentially succeed. Um, but like you said, going back to Arthur Smith is where everything about the Titans, you know, becomes interesting to me because um, he was promoted from the Titans and um, you look into his, um, you know, coaching career and everything like that has never called plays before has no track record whatsoever of calling plays. I mean, he's, this is a guy who's been with the Tennessee Titans since 2011. The new Titans GM has been there since 2016 and Mike Vrabel was in his first year as a head coach. So this is a guy who's been with that Titans organization for longer than the GM and head coach. So, you know, that's, that's fat. That's a pretty interesting dynamic as it is. You start to look into Arthur Smith as a, um, a person and you know who he is. Um, his dad was the founder of FedEx as you start to look into it. So, um, Basically, what it seems like is he was born into a lot of money. He graduated from North Carolina, got a job with the Washington Redskins. Um, the, you know, their name is FedEx Field and everything like that. And just kind of um, between relationships, between his standing, between he got his foot in the door. I think he's just a person who, you know, he's not he doesn't have to be driven by money. And people will act differently in terms of career advancement when they're driven by money. I think he's, you know, kind of sat back, said, you know what? I'm working for an NFL organization, you know, uh, bounced around to Ole Miss in 2010, but since 2011 has been on the Tennessee Titans, and that's four coaching regimes that he has sat through. Um, that's Mike Munchak, that's Ken Wisenhunt, that's Mike Malarkey, and that's Mike Vrabel. Um, he's been through all of these coaches, and they all continue to, as they move on to the next one, they keep him around. They typically change his position, but then as Mike Vrabel finally goes, they promote him. So that's where I'm saying he's such a fascinating person because he has absolutely, you know, he has no, um, you know, I talk about the coaching trees and everything like that. And um, we're going to talk about uh, what's their name, the offensive coordinator, LaFleur you know, left. And he was technically from the McVay coaching tree, but I'm going to talk about how the Shanahan coaching tree helps that in the tight end position was so vital to them. And that's where you get into the season from hell and Marcus Mariota, because one of the first plays of their uh, season with Matt LaFleur and the only season of Matt LaFleur. And like I say, I think his, his staple is more of a tight end than some people would, would recognize from a McVay offense. 
Delaney Walker goes down um, so early into week one for the entire season. We're going to get into the depth of their tight ends, but I think they wanted to run more two tight end sets. They wanted to change everything like that. So their offense didn't have an identity last season because I believe that a key piece of their identity was taken away in week one and the rest was LaFleur. I mean, we're going to get into the rest of it, you know, scrapping pieces, trying to figure it out, everything like that. So, I mean, Arthur Smith comes in here. Um, you know, he was the tight ends coach, everything like that, but he has no, you know, coaching tree, no identity. Um, we're just wondering what he can do with Marcus Mariota, who's, you know, one of the most fascinating enigmas in his own right, because, you know, it's his fifth year. Like I said, they're not necessarily looking to extend him yet, which when you get to your fifth year and you're the former, you know, what, number one or number two overall pick, um, you typically would think that a team would have an idea of what they have with him. Um, the issue with him is, yeah, it's, it's just still kind of is, um, it's up in the air and you start to think about, you know, what Mariota is and um, he'll never necessarily lose you a game. He'll never kill you in a game. And I think you can go back to his last three seasons um, in terms of when he starts, they've had a winning record every year. Um, eight and seven, nine and six, seven and six when he starts. Those aren't, you know, he's not setting the world on fire, but he wins in the NFL. So you go into that and you say, he doesn't kill you as an NFL starter. Um, the issues are one, he gets hurt all the time. You know, like I just noted, um, you, there are some missed starts in each of the last, really every season in his career. There's been some missed starts. Um, some of that goes back to, like I said, while he doesn't kill you, sometimes he holds onto the ball a little too long, or sometimes he doesn't make the right decision because he's being maybe a little bit too extra cautious. So those are some of the issues that you have with Mariota. And those are some of the situations where you, you have to put him over, you know, he's not a quarterback who's going to, um, you know, kill you, sink your team, anything like that. But can you win with Mariota? Um, can you do more than, you know, seven and six or um, nine and six? You know, what's so fascinating about this team was, uh, you know, they made the playoffs. Mariota has, what, 13 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, but they made the playoffs, um, you know, went nine and six. Then they fired their head coach. Um, and then, like I kind of said, as we're going to get into, Delaney Walker gets hurt. Um, offensive line pieces. Marcus Mariota is playing with a pinched nerve in his arm. And if you uh, follow Dr. Chow, who we've talked about on the podcast on uh, Twitter, he was talking about, you know, this is a miracle that Mariota is even out there throwing passes every single game. And that's where you get into Tannehill and say that, um, you know, they were, they're sitting here saying, hey, we went nine and seven. Um, and that includes two and one with Blaine Gabbert starting. Um, you know, maybe if, you know, like I keep saying, Mariota misses a start every single season. Maybe we should stop relying on Blaine Gabbert. You know, um, maybe we should have somebody in there to where when Mariota gets hurt, and that's you know, some people are going to drum up the Quintana Hill replace Mariota. I think that they're still completely invested in what Marcus Mariota can do. Like I said, he's been a winning quarterback for them. He's not necessarily, you know, the fans aren't ready to run him out of town. The fans are ready to say, you know, when are we going to have no more excuses? When's there going to be no injuries for Mariota? And when are we going to actually see what he can be in a functioning offense? Like I just mentioned, all the quarterbacks um, or all the head coaches that have been fired in the past, you know, couple seasons and all the offensive coordinators. Um, I don't think he's had an offensive coordinator for more than one season every single year in his career. So this year, it's all about finding out what you have with Mariota entering the year. Um, you hardly know what you have because of um, Arthur Smith and his relationship with Mariota. Um, and uh, the other thing about Arthur Smith that kind of takes us into the running backs is that um, he really, you know, he seems to be dedicated towards running the football. They made some offseason moves to dedicate more towards running the football. Um, that would obviously help relieve the stress of Mariota. If Mariota could be that player where, 
you know, just drop back quick passes, everything like that, managing the game. Um, that is where you could go, you know, nine and seven, 10 and six. We've seen Mariota do that before. So that's where they are. It's such a tough situation, um, especially in terms of the long term. In terms of the short, short term, I think you have to look at this team as they're going to run the football. And then as the season goes on, we'll learn what we learn about Mariota and kind of adjust off of that. Parks looking at the running backs, which we can get into here. Um, Derrick Henry really found something last year. They're going to build that offense around him. Deion Lewis is still there. Um, they ended up signing as a UDFA Alex Barnes from Kansas State, who looked like he had some nice upside, but he's not really going to get a whole lot of touches here, barring injuries. How do you feel about this running back group? Right. And the big thing that they took away from last season, um, like I said, it, it kind of became such a mess, especially when they were trying to go more two tight end sets and that didn't necessarily work for them. Jack Conklin was coming back from an ACL. Um, you start to mix in some of these other injuries around them. And like I said, with Mariota and Blaine Gabbert, a lot of teams were keying in on the run. Um, and it really showed with Deion Lewis. And I think Deion Lewis um, potentially finally took that step back in terms of um, whether you whether you look at play um, or run percentage, run success percentages or pass success percentages, no matter how you look at it, this offense just flows better with Derrick Henry in there, mainly because, you know, of the two, when you don't have the great skill players or the great pieces around him, Henry's the one that's creating on his own, whereas Deion Lewis necessarily is not. So Lewis is obviously going to be there because um, similarly to Mariota with Henry, you're looking around saying, you know, how many years, you know, when's he going to have his breakout? A lot of people keep touting and saying, oh, you know, this is the year for him. This is the year for him. But as I keep mentioning, you know, every year they have a new offensive coordinator and every year Marcus Mariota has a new injury and every year guys like Blaney Walker go down and all of a sudden things do go in a loop. So like I said, if you read into what Arthur Smith has said, um, if you look into, um, they invested a little bit on their offensive line via the draft, um, via the uh, free agency. And when you look at the trends of how, as the season went on, Mike Vrabel, who's obviously still the head coach there, did start to say, okay, we wanted to mix in Lewis and Henry. Now we realize we're probably just a Henry team. Um, and I mean, Lewis will come in and he'll help a little bit in the passing game. And I think they would like to get those two on the field at the same time. But for the most part, I think this is going to be a, a Derrick Henry offense. Um, I think the the fact is that um, they're going to run it, you know, run it, run it, run it, like I said, with Mariota and everything like that. So that makes Henry a great play. But also, I think they're going to throw the football to him more. And that's where, like I said, you can look at the pass percentages as well. Um, Derrick Henry was much better in space with the ball in his hands, catching passes than Deion Lewis was last season. So that's where you start to walk away and say, um, Derrick Henry, in my opinion, is the all around back here. Like you said, they brought in Alex Barnes, a very athletic runner. Um, a very big guy. Um, he would definitely, he would come in as the, the replacement for Derrick Henry, because I think they're going to try and put some serious work on Derrick Henry, keep Dion Lewis in a role as the change of pace type of player, a third down type of back, um, a situational type of player, everything like that. You have a guy like David Fluell and Jeremy McNichols. Those are like backups for him. But I think Barnes, you take him because you do want to run a lot of power and you do want to run a lot of Derrick Henry between the tackles, having him create. Um, and you know, what's great about him is he's so big and a, pretty shifty for his size that he can break those tackles in the box. And then when he gets going downhill, um, he can obviously spring big runs. So he has, like I said, I mean, I think underrated pass catching and also underrated explosive run um, ability add in that what everybody's talking about. And I do kind of think he's a decent fantasy bet. Um, I think he usually goes in like the fourth round. 
that's typically where I see him. And I kind of have him similarly in a similar vein to carry on Johnson because um, they're going to be on very run heavy offenses. They're both going to catch the ball a little more than I think. And they both have some big playability. Um, so they're right there. I think with Devontae Freeman too, like that round three, round four um, is around where I would start looking at Derrick Henry. As for Deion Lewis, like I said, I, I wouldn't take him at all. And if Derrick Henry goes gets hurt, I actually would be reading to pick up Alex, Alex Barnes even more than I would be looking to pick up Deion Lewis, probably because, you know, Deion Lewis is going to get drafted um, and he's going to be on somebody's bench and somebody's going to just continue to sit on this. And I don't think it's ever going to come to fruition this season. I think what they learned last season was that, um, you know, Lewis in a specific situation or that, you know, a couple years with the Patriots, you could squeeze that juice, but Henry's the creator and, um, yeah, I, like I said, because of their questions of Mariota, I think that they're going to rely on Henry more than Mariota. Hey, Parks, looking at the wide receiver group, some pretty interesting guys here. Um, Corey Davis, you know, their draft pick from a couple years ago, struggled with injuries, but, you know, between him and Mariota, it's probably been hard for them to get any connection going. But if he's healthy and Mariota's healthy, I like what they could have there. They're bringing Adam Humphreys from Tampa Bay on a four-year, $36 million deal. Draft A.J. Brown from Ole Miss at 51st overall. Um, Tajay Sharp is still there, and they have um, – they end up signing Anthony Ratliff-Williams, who's just a big wide receiver from North Carolina. Anyone else in this group stick out to you, and do you want to talk about this group a little bit? Yeah, that's a – I mean, the key is going to be um, typically Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. Those are the – that's the future for Marcus Mariota. Um, with A.J. Brown going 51st, you could argue, you know, two top 50 picks – in their rookie year deals. Um, hopefully you could walk away from this, like I said, with Mariota saying, hey, in his fifth year, he you know, he finally had Davis for a full year and found connection. He finally had a, a complimentary piece to Davis and AJ Brown and found connection. These are young receivers. He's connecting with them. Um, let's see what this can be. Then there's Adam Humphreys in the slot. Um, I was kind of saying during the draft that I like AJ Brown a lot in the slot. And then Corey Davis moves into the slot as well. Um, last year, some of his best games actually came when he moved into the slot and was able to get different coverages. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with when you don't have AJ Brown and you don't have Adam Humphreys, um, it's a lot easier to, you know, key in on Corey Davis on one particular side of the field. Whereas, you know, when he's in the slot, he actually can, you know, move around and everything like that. So that is where he had his best situation. Also, like you said, um, the injuries and, in, you know, not only to him, he's had a uh, hamstring injury that really kind of took away his rookie season. And then Marcus Mariota, you know, can barely play, can barely throw a football for half the season, obviously takes away his situation. Um, when Mariota has thrown, I think it's either 20 or 25 pass attempts, Corey Davis averages six receptions for 54 yards and like almost a touchdown per game as well. So they, they've shown that, you know, they can connect, you know, five or six times a game at nine yards a clip. Um, when they're when they're both healthy and rolling together, you also look into Corey Davis and say um, he's only going to be 24 by the start of this season. So um, a younger quarterback or a younger receiver who has some upside um, could potentially move him around. But um, the fear that I have with Corey Davis, um, especially in terms of like his fantasy range, would be if if they continue consistently have Adam Humphreys in the slot, which they paid him a lot of money and he's making a lot of money, probably to you know he doesn't he's not going to play on the outside nearly as much as. Like I said, AJ Brown and Davis can move inside, but they're also um, they're also outside players. I don't think Humphrey can typically move to the outside, so that puts Corey Davis and AJ Brown in X and Z roles. Um, it's going to be interesting to see because when AJ Brown was, was with DJ Metcalf, 
and he, you know, he was in the slot sometimes, but he was also in the X role on the outside. Corey Davis can kind of play either one, but when you look at their profiles, um, Corey Davis would probably slide into the Z role. So those are deeper targets down the football field um, in terms of what he would typically be running versus the X would be, you know, some of the quicker over the middle routes. Um, he would be running deeper routes down the football field. And like I said, the fact of the matter is Humphreys um, isn't a Z player. AJ Brown isn't a Z player. Corey Davis can do everything. So, you know, while you would like Corey Davis in the slot and while you would like him in the X, the players around him potentially put him in the Z role, which means deeper passage, which means that's not necessarily one where Mariota's targeting and two um, where he's the most accurate in terms of his quick passing. So those are some of the some of the downfalls that come with with um what Corey Davis is. So that's where he he slides a little bit in terms of fantasy. He's still like I think it's like the eighth round. You can tend to tend to be okay with him. Um I think I have him uh ahead of Sammy Watkins, but like right around there. So, um, because I, I trust his talent more than Sammy Watkins, but I think there's potential that it's the same style of routes. Um, what, what could change that is if Taewon Taylor took a step forward, he's kind of, and like you said, Anthony Retief Williams is another player who, um, could be those Z players. Um, Retief Williams is a UDFA. You're not necessarily betting on that. Taewon Taylor, you could say in glimpses and flashes last season, he showed it. You could also say that Mike Vrabel got a full season with Taewon Taylor and said, you know what, A.J. Brown and you know uh, Adam Humphreys are needed because um, we can't rely on a guy like Taylor deep down the football field. So that's where Davis has to slide into that Z-roll deep down the field, which makes him more of a boom-bust player than it does a consistent staple of Mariota's um, passing. And, you know, Adam Humphreys could be a decent bet in fantasy, but I don't necessarily like him. Um, the, the, the thing that you have to tell yourself and that I have to tell myself is whatever I think about Taewon Taylor and whatever I think about Adam Humphreys, the Titans made an actionable decision to pay Adam Humphreys and not pay Taewon Taylor. And money always talks like, <laughs> you know, like money is everything in, in every facet of, you know, uh, sports and everything like that. So, um, you know, money and relationships, that's how Arthur, you know, Smith got his job. <laughs> so, I mean, money and relationships is what matters. And you have to say the Titans invested serious money into Humphreys. They have nothing committed to Taewon Taylor at this point. Um, Humphreys is going to see the field a lot more than Taewon Taylor. That's what puts Corey Davis into the zero. It puts Humphreys into a spot where he's going to get more targets. I just don't necessarily, um, one, I don't love the talent, but two, I do think that despite the fact that they in a perfect world, they're going to run that. Like I said, they're going to run two tight end stuff. They're going to potentially get two running backs on the field. They're going to have um, tight ends and fullbacks and everything like that to where, um, and Corey Davis and AJ Brown also, you know, Corey Davis isn't just sentenced to the, you know, Z. He's going to also be able to move into the slot in situations. AJ Brown's going to be able to move into the slot into situations. And because he's potentially lined up for the X role, but because he's potentially lined up, to get into the slot. I think AJ Brown, you know, is one of the, it, it's like, you know, super late in fantasy. Um, you could at least look into it, especially um, if you start to hear some training camp reports that him and Mariota are on the same path. What's great about AJ Brown is physically, he's pretty much ready for the NFL. Um, he does have to, you know, get some nuance in his route running. Um, it wasn't the di most diverse route tree. And that's where you do have situations where Corey Davis can slide into the X, Tajay Sharp into the Z and Adam Humphreys. And that's where it's kind of, it's such a mixed bag that, um, 
you know, you're not investing too much in Mariota. You're not investing too much in any of these guys, really, and just waiting for it to sort out. But that's where it goes back to. Um, I think they're going to ride Derrick Henry, sort some of this out, and hope that Mariota finds a connection with these guys. But if he does find a connection with these guys, it's kind of they're all getting fed a little bit, and maybe Mariota's a little more valuable. Um, and like I said, maybe they figure it out with Mariota, but um, that's where it's still – you don't necessarily hit your wagon to these guys yet. I hope that we see – them stay healthy, Parks, because that would be exciting to watch them this year. And then looking at the tight end group, Delaney Walker blew out his ankle in week one last year. He thinks he's going to be ready for week one this year, so hopefully he gets a good clean bill of health, Parks. How do you feel about the rest of this tight end group behind him? doesn't look very deep. Right. Well, um, what was nice for them was because of the injury, Jonu Smith got to start to come into – um, a little bit of his own in terms of a tight end. Um, and like I was saying, I thought that before the season, um, we we're going to see a lot of Delaney Walker sliding into more of a blocking role and Johnu Smith being more of a slide into the slot role where, like I said, you know, they're motioning Corey Davis into the slot. They didn't have anybody in the slot. I thought, I truly thought their plans were going to be, um, first off, a little bit of Deion Lewis, second off, a little bit of Johnu Smith. But then, like I said, all the injuries, I don't think they ever got a chance to exercise that. And we're going to talk about that with the Packers, with the floor, and, you know, how he never really got to showcase. Um, everybody, you know, was spouting off Titan stats of how, you know, poor they were and spouting off how they didn't have an identity and spouting off did this, this. It's like Mariota could not throw a football for like seven weeks and was their starting quarterback. Delaney Walker got hurt in week one and was a key piece of their plans. You got to stop worrying about, you know, stuff that when circumstances change, you got to change your, you know, opinions and philosophy. Yeah, everything like that. So um, that's where I do think Delaney Walker is still going to be a key piece of this offense. And I do think that in a perfect world, you know, hey, you just promoted your tight ends coach to offensive coordinator. Um, John U. Smith, Delaney Walker could be getting on the field together. And that's where, like I was saying, if it finally clicks for Mariota, it may be Mariota's clicking and the rest of the guys are, you know, just all getting little pieces of the pie because – this is a free-flowing offense. Um, Corey Davis can move into the slot into the outside. A.J. Brown can move into the slot in the outside. Johnny Smith on the line in the slot. Delaney Walker on the line in the slot. Derrick Henry, you know, your big power runner but can also hit the big play and catch. Deion Lewis, you want to motion him a little bit? That's where it's, you know, it's a free-flowing offense. It's an offense where we can actually see what we have in Mariota. And if Mariota cannot work with um, if this all stays healthy, like you were saying, if Mariota cannot do that, then you finally say, okay, enough is enough with Mariota. Yeah, he went eight and eight, but the best he's going to go is eight and eight. So we we need somebody to take these guys up to the next level. We don't want to just sit here at medi mediocrity or anything like that. So that's what they're hoping to learn. In terms of fantasy, I'm not buying in, uh, Delon into what's his name at all. Um I would, I would just uh, – because one, he's 36, and two, he, like you said, with the ankle injury, and yeah, he potentially could be back in week one. But um, you also have to look at it and say um, – the other thing is he's going to lose all of his athleticism, you know, in my opinion, because he's 36 and has the ankle surgery. But the other thing you could say is his role is typically going to be um, short routes, finding spaces in zone, um, getting open, everything like that, to where he's going to have enough catches. But in my opinion, it's kind of – because he's reliable as a blocker, he's reliable as a pass catcher, it's just enough to make Jonu Smith irrelevant completely altogether. 
Um, so it's it, instead of, you know, is Walker relevant? Is Smith, irrele- you know, relevant? I think they both make each other irrelevant in terms of fantasy football. I think that schematically, if they could get on the field together, it highlights um, Davis and Brown, the young receivers who you want to highlight. So um, they're invested a lot into Delaney Walker. I just, I don't trust it too, too much, especially in terms of keeping him healthy. Um, like you said, I don't think there's too, too much uh, depth behind him. They do have guys like Ryan Hewitt and Ferkser who are like fullback tight end move players where um, that's like I said, I think a lot of this could be Mariota moving guys around, getting the matchups he likes in quick passing. And that's where he would succeed. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, we, we don't know because of Arthur Smith, we don't know because of Mariota um, and we don't know because, you know, a lot of these receivers are young and banged up for you know the majority of their careers. Just looking at the offensive line that's hopefully going to protect Mariota, Quentin Spain moves on to the Bills. He started 42 of 48 games for the Titans the last three seasons, graded out at the number 40 guard out of 81 qualifiers in 2018 by Pro Football Focus. Um, and then they released Josh Klein. He was entering the second year of a four-year $26 million extension. They asked him to take a pay cut. He declined, got his walking papers. Um and he, but he was 69th, the 69th guard out of 81 qualifiers for last season. So they're probably not going to miss him because they signed Roger Saffold from the Rams, four years, $44 million, drafted Nate Davis, 82nd overall. They did decline Jack Conklin's fifth-year option, which is interesting if you want to touch on that. But the line looks like it's going to be okay. Right, it does. And they definitely um, invested into it. And, you know, like you said, um, I think they looked at, you know, all these injuries and everything saying there's so many easy excuses that you can write for Marcus Mariota and you can't keep writing excuses for five years. So at some point they're like, you know, we got to invest in the receiver core. We got to, you know, go straight to Derrick Henry and we got to invest in this offensive line and really see what he's going to be. So um, that's where they did say, you know what, Spain and Klein, you guys, you know, enough is enough. We're going to have to move on here. Um, like you said with the Jack Conklin thing, it's going to be fascinating because he was another one of those players in this season from hell. Um, you know, they surprisingly make the playoffs. He tears his ACL in the playoff game. Um, and then, you know, just doesn't get back to his, his you know, playing style. Um, really, you know, he had an all, I think it was, it was all rookie or it was a really strong uh, rookie season. Second season came back to earth, but was, you know, just fine. And then, you know, trying to just get back on pace from there. Really, so um, he's he's just he just has to get healthy for the most part, in my opinion. Um, and then he could just you know potentially because he has the full year removed. Um, any you know now he's playing for a contract could be back into being a solid right tackle. You look into Lewin on the left side and you say, hey, between Conklin and Lewin, you know we should have two young up and coming emerging you know tackles. Lewin for sure seems legit. Conklin, you know you're hoping for just like you're hoping for Mariota, Derrick Henry, all those guys. But, you know, you're kind of you're thinking at least on paper we have that. And then, um, like you said, I think they moved out those guards, brought in two brand new guards, in my opinion, because I do think uh, Nate Davis, I think he started as a freshman at Charlotte and has started a lot of his career. And I have a draft profile on him if you're really interested in him. But the two things you uh, he's really nasty. And like he's a really downhill run, gro- run, run road grader. So when they drafted him, you kind of got that idea where, like I said, well, that lines aligns with some of the Derrick Henry talk that they've been, you know, talking about, talking about. I think he's, you know, I don't think his upside is the highest in the world, but I think he's a plug and play run blocker and on a team that needs a plug and play run blocker. So um, I think he's, he potentially slides in. They also have 
a guy like Dennis Kelly, who is, um, you know, slid in for Conklin last season and got his feet wet. Um, they have Pamphile and they have Pastor and also Jamil Douglas, who can swing into uh, center and guard. So, I mean, they have some guys that um, could potentially slide into that guard spot if the 82nd overall pick doesn't work. But I like the idea of them committing to um, running the football in like the third round and adding a guy who could potentially start next season. Then they go out and pay Roger Saffold. Um, everybody talks about with the McVay scheme and, oh, he's so smart. And look at how they can run the ball better than anybody. Well, it helps when you have a really, you know, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And um, I, he was like one of the top five run grading offensive linemen Saffold was last season. Um, it'll be fascinating to see, well, was, Mc, was McVay making Saffold's life that easy or, you know, is Saffold really this, you know, strong run uh, blocker? I think, you know, it's probably a little bit of both, but also the fact that he's a solid run blocker. Um, and that's where I'm saying, hey, you know, they just got two big time run blockers to just spit in the middle. Ben Jones, uh, I think he was PFF's number three run blocker. Um, it's his fourth year as the starting center. So, um, you know, continuity isn't necessarily there unless you're looking at Ben Jones and Taylor Luan, you know, at center and left tackle. And that's a good, you know, those are your two kind of fundamental pieces. If you could get that plug and play action, um, it, it, they're obviously going to run the ball really well. But at the very least, you walk away from the offensive line saying that this offensive line is dedicated to running the football. And it's dedicated to like everything I'm saying. And that's where there's a little fear of Corey Davis and the Z because they're not going to run too many deep passes down the football field. I think it is going to be a lot of power, 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 quick hitters with Mariota because, you know, he, he has that quick release and gets the ball out of his hands quickly and it keeps him upright and healthy. And um, that's, that's what it's all about. So, I mean, how much can you run teams over and, you know, can Conklin stay healthy and can Nate Davis as a third round pick, you know, step in right away. Um, it's going to take some, you know, bumpy roads, but um, that's where Derrick Henry and fantasy is um, is the best bet of all those guys. Parks, I'm moving on to the defensive side of the ball. Dean Pease, who's had he's had some health concerns over the last couple of years. He is returning. Um, looking at we can start in the interior. Jarrell Casey um, still making big money there, but he's a nice, really nice piece there. They ended up drafting uh, Jeffrey Simmons at 19th. Overall, um, he would have went a lot higher if he hadn't torn his ACL in workouts. Um, he thinks that if they make the playoffs, he may be able to make a late season return because he is already running. But um, looking at the other guys inside, they brought in Brent Urban, who gets a reunion with Pease from Baltimore. He was PFF's 25th best run stopping grade out of 120, 112 qualified at defensive tackle parks. How do you feel about this interior group? Right. And um, one thing about Simmons <clears throat> that kind of goes back to Vrabel and it does, this kind of does, it's worth noting because it's somewhat coaching philosophy and you saw it in his philosophy last season that, you know, John Robinson is, uh, he came from the Patriots, the Titans GM and hired Mike Vrabel. So there were, there's obviously a relationship there and I'm not saying that, you know, Vrabel can do what he wants and he's not going to get fired, but I do believe that Vrabel is coaching in Robinson drafts in terms of, they're looking long-term here. They're looking, you know, I mean, like I said, it ha the wheels haven't fallen off, you know, despite the fact that it doesn't look good. Um, the last two years, 10 and six, it was an ugly 10 and six last year. It was nine and seven. It was an ugly nine and seven, but that's where I keep saying like, they're still competing while they're playing the long game. And while Vrabel consistently, um, you know, sometimes sacrifices a little bit in the present for the long term. And like I said, that goes into one, his coaching philosophy. It goes um, into a lot of these things. And that's where I'm saying about Mariota is, if it doesn't work for Mariota, 
Um, that does, I don't think that, hit, that puts Vrabel's seat hot at all. I think that that gives Vrabel the first chance to pick his quarterback. And what does that mean? He has five more years. So um, that's what, you know, he has, I think he has time to figure this out. And that's what inclines you to take Jeffrey Simmons 19th overall. Um, when he really, you know, you, like you said, potentially you could say um, he fell into your laps. The issue with that is, you know, you're missing his entire rookie season. He has some off-field questions as well. But um, you trust that a guy like Vrabel has the long-term plan in mind. And yeah, maybe he'll be back for the playoffs, everything like that. I think I'm just, you know, kind of counting him out for this season and saying that next season when he comes in with Jarrell Casey and Mike Vrabel really has a lot of more answers than he had um, this year on offense – that's where he, you know, he's playing the long game and it's, it's not a bad idea for him to play that type of game. So, um, Simmons is completely out of the mix. In my opinion, Jarrell Casey, like you said, eight sacks last season, um, just a real stud when, if, when they can get Simmons and Casey going, that's where Mike Vrabel in the long term might have something. If he can get that offense going, um, Austin Johnson is a really solid nose tackle. And when you have all that other talent around him, it's great to have just a, you know, a solid run stuffer like him. And then Daquan Jones is another player. Three, four could kind of play the end spots. So um, that's where you can shuffle Casey. You can shuffle Simmons um, really up and down the line because you have a guy like Daquan and you have a guy like Austin Johnson who can shuffle around there. And then, um, you know, Brett Urban, you could say is kind of like an inside outside player who, um, was from Baltimore, signed with Dean Pease, and you know Pease will obviously be able to use him as well. But um, I think that, like I said, with the inside outside and with the fact that you know in, in most uh, you know when they run their three four defense, it would probably be Austin Johnson in the nose, DeQuan and Jarrell Casey as the ends, and then potentially sliding Urban out to the edge. We'll obviously see about that, but the, you know they definitely need some help on the edge. Um, it'll just be, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they get it, but, uh, they have a solid defensive line. It's going to be a really, really good defensive line when they can get Simmons into the mix. And that's just long-term. I, I keep saying, I think Vrabel is going to be there for the long-term. So, um, it's, it's just got, you got to take it slow a little bit with the Titans. Parks moving back a level to the linebackers, Derek Morgan and Brian Arakpa both announced their retirements after nine and 10 seasons, respectively. They bring in Cameron Wake on a three-year, $23 million deal from Miami. Um, he's getting up there in age parks, but he should be a nice rotational edge rusher for them. Um, they drafted DeAndre Walker at 168 and David Long at 188. Um, both pretty nice athletes there, Parks. Um, also, Parks, we're looking at – we can start with the edge players if you want to get into them first, and then we can move on to the middle guys. Yeah, that works. Um, yeah, because it's an interesting position and it is, it's an interesting shakeup in terms of, you know, Iraq Poe and Morgan and you're saying, you know, out with the old and then Cameron Wake comes in, you're like in with the old. It's like, okay, sure. But um, the thing with Cameron Wake is if you, if you really watched him last season, he, he's always been a decent athlete, but he was always, you know, more like he's a little undersized and he just really is, has been so technically refined for his entire career that he just consistently, I mean, it's like, you know, he probably knows what these tackles are doing, you know, just studies them and studies them and just consistently goes to their weaknesses and is able to beat them. Um, he lost, you know, all of the, you know, somewhat explosiveness that he has. Um, he's not a, you know, high upside player. For the most part, you just want to get 20 snaps per game out of him. You know, there's about 60 snaps and, you know, you argue maybe 50, 60 snaps in an NFL defensive game plan. Um, you're kind of just chalking up 20 for Cameron Wake. 
Those are 20 great snaps. But when you start going over that, I think that's where you start to go into um, pushing his age and pushing everything like that. So, I mean, okay, you have 20 rotational snaps there. Brett Urban, like I said, rotational um, inside-outside type of player. All right, you get, you know, 20, 30 snaps there. Um, that could potentially get you onto one side. Um, and also, uh, Kemale Correa, another guy that they got from uh, the Ravens, you know, Dean Pease. Um, whereas uh, Urban's an inside-outside type of guy on the uh, D-line, you could argue Correa could play inside-outside in terms of a linebacker. It helps him in terms of blitzing up the middle, and it helps them be a little bit more multiple multiple in the linebackers as we kind of start to go further back. But, um, okay, you know, it's going to be a, a steady rotation, but it's a rotation in terms of Wake has superior stuff, and Correa and Urban can, you know, kind of mix around enough, and you can figure it out enough. Then on the other side, you're hoping Harold Landry has um, like a real breakout season. Um, fell to the second round, I guess, because of, you know, shoulder injury uh, questions. But when he's on the field, he's a sack master. You know, he's not going to hold up too, too well against the run. And I think that you're going to see, um, you know, a guy like Urban also get some snaps on that side or a guy like Correa also get some snaps on that side across from, you know, on the other side with, with, with Landry probably not getting a full slate of snaps either. But the thing with Landry is when it's third down and you got to get to the pass rusher, um, his bend, his burst, and his explosion is some of the best in the NFL. I mean, coming into his second season, but you could see it on display in glimpses last year. And I think you're going to see a potential real breakout, especially working with a guy like Cameron Wake this year, you know, the technician and everything like that. So um, Derek Roberson from Sam Houston State will probably end up on the practice squad. DeAndre Walker is interesting because he could play that off of the ball um, and also blitz off of the edge as well. And that gives you just, it, there's just enough depth to where you could squint your eyes and say that this is, they're okay at edge rusher. Um, you know, Wake holds his own, Landry has the upside, they have just enough depth that they're okay. It's teetering though, you know, and you're also looking at a situation saying, you know, that age of Wake, and, you know, they're looking for a lot of versatility from their depth, and how much can Landry hold up in his second season? Um, it's, you know, it's right on that edge of, you know, do they have enough depth on the edge or, you know, do they not? And that's where um, last season, uh, Derek Morgan and Brian Arakpo, and you're saying, why did they draft Harold Landry? And, you know, now this season you're saying this is absolutely why. So um, it'll, it'll be interesting, you know, they're hoping. And like I keep saying, I mean, this long-term plan, you know, when you get Simmons and Casey and then Landry's entering year three and, you know, Wake's still there and you probably have another pass rusher in the mix you know, through the draft next season, because it, it does look like it's a need moving forward. That's where you start to say, Hey, you know, this team, they're slowly building with Vrabel and they're slowly acquiring these, um, you know, pieces and potential franchise builders. So. Parks and looking at the inside guys, if you want to do that a little bit here, Wesley Woodyard and Rashawn Evans, both nice pieces there parks. Um, we're also looking at, like I mentioned, David Long from West Virginia, Quick athlete, linebacker, their parks, and also Jayon Brown on the inside. How do you feel about that group? Right. Another one that, you know, hey, season from hell, Rashawn Evans. They went and got him in the first round. One of the questions with him in the first round was, I think it was uh, some hammy questions. Uh, didn't really do much in the combine or, you know, off, off uh, pre-draft, anything like that. And then does miss a few games early into his career. Um, doesn't necessarily get off on the right start, you know, with the, how the Titans kind of you know, stumbled their way to nine and seven, like I keep saying. Um, but as the season went on, you really started to, you know, feel Rashawn Evans, um, especially I think his best attribute would be um, in terms of play calling, you know, staying every, uh, keeping everybody in line, kind of staying in his lane, um, reading his run keys. He's a really uh, stout run defender. And that's great for them because you start to look at some of these players around them 
And you say, if they could just have somebody keep some of these guys in line, you know, they're more freewheeling, wheeling and dealing and everything like that, you know, keep some of these guys in line. Um, you know, Avery Williamson was always the guy that kept uh, Wesley Woodyard in line. You know, now he's over with the Jets and Wesley Woodyard is more that, you know, run and chase player. I think he's slowly um, coming towards the end of his time with the Tennessee Titans. And I think he could start next to Rashawn Evans, but I think they're looking at um, whether it be Jayon Brown or uh, – whoever the other guy is, I forget right now, but um, either way, Jalen Brown, I think is probably going to be the one who steps in next season. Um, he started to get going from uh, his rookie year and then really started to get going last season. Um, I think between him and Rashawn Evans, you do have that downhill thump in that space player and they're both really young players. So um, they're really starting to get it going in terms of their linebacker. David Long, the other one, I think he'll make it in terms of depth and special teams, but I think the dynamic of... Evans and Woodyard for now, and Jayon Brown slowly moving in as Woodyard moves out, gives them a linebacker core for the long term. And like I was saying, if you can slide in, you know, Harold Landry, Rashawn Evans, Jayon Brown, now you have three fourths of your linebacker core are all in their first four seasons. Um, and you know, you probably are prioritizing edge next season. So that's really where they are. They want that one other edge rusher, and they would, you know, once Jeffrey Simmons comes back and they add another edge rusher, that's when they're, you know, one of the best defensive fronts in the NFL. Parks, looking at the uh, the secondary here, we can start with the cornerback group. Uh, Malcolm Butler, they gave a ton of money to, so he's still on the team. Logan Ryan, also looking at Adoree Jackson, traffic from a couple years. Um, they also have Rashawn Sims and Mike Jordan, some depth guys. How do you feel about this group? Right, and um, I, <laughs> I, I think I wrote an article about benched in the Super Bowl, but um, basically – I wouldn't start Malcolm Butler. You know, I'm, I'm not a big Malcolm Butler guy. I think he was completely overrated. Um, I think that that play against the Seahawks, you know, got him a lot of freaking money. Um, the Patriots helped get him a lot of money. But, you know, he didn't have a good season last year. You could argue that it slowly started to come around as the season went on. But I'm not a big fan of Malcolm Butler. And like you said, now they're committed to him. And, you know, they don't necessarily have the best pass rush to where they can supplement for him. So it's a, a big year for Malcolm Butler. I mean, just a huge year for a guy that, in my opinion, hasn't proven um, that he's nearly worth this money. So we're obviously going to see about that. Um, Dory Jackson on the other side, I think he's slowly starting to emerge. Um, I mean, the thing that you had with Dory Jackson, or that I consistently said was, I mean, in terms of the upside, the athleticism, the body fluidity, like he's an athlete. He's a supreme athlete. Um, I just didn't think he had it, you know, all together yet. Um, you know, whether the development at USC, this or that, I think the development of Adoree, um, in Tennessee, these past couple years, you're starting to gain some faith in a guy like Adoree Jackson. So, um, I think hopefully you would have Adoree potentially following number one guys and, you know, um, something that I don't think I've talked about too much on these podcasts, but a lot of people or a lot of teams are starting to go with you know quick players who can create separation more than they are the physical players who can go up and get the ball in the air because you know it, it's easier to ha to throw to the open player than to throw to the non-open and um, size is less important as it is um, you know fluidity and speed over the open field. That's where Dory Jackson almost can start to handle a lot of these number one receivers and you know they're not just like these typical you know what you think of number one receivers. Um, players are coming out more, you know, the NFL is drafting Antonio Brown's higher than they're drafting Jones higher. Um, if that makes sense, you know, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown goes in the first round, DK Metcalf falls to the end of the second round. Right. So, um, that's where Adoree Jackson has the chance to, um, 
follow number one receivers like Marquise Brown. Um, and that's where M Malcolm Butler all of a sudden becomes on that other side where maybe he can take advantage of lesser matchups, can use his smarts to his advantage, can use um, – he is a little bit of a risk taker to his advantage. Um, maybe you do start to see better. I mean, like I said, I'm not necessarily the highest on it. Logan Ryan in the slot, I do like him. I do like that they gave him money after um, – performing for the Patriots. And I think he's one of the more solid slot players because he has that fluidity and change of direction over the middle of the field. So, I mean, LaShawn Sims can play some, uh, can play some teams, but you got to look at it and say, they're so invested in Malcolm Butler. And if it doesn't work, it's, it's a huge hindrance on their defense. So, um, We'll see if, if that'll be worth it. I thought at the time it was a bad idea. I, th I said all last season, I said, bad idea, bad idea, bad idea. And now, you know, I'm heading into year two. I, I can't change my stance yet. Parks and moving on to the safeties to wrap them up here. They ended up uh, releasing Jonathan Cyprian and they got Kevin Byard coming back. Parks to go with Kenny Vaccaro, who got a four year, $26 million deal. And they drafted Amani Hooker. They traded up to 116 to take him. Pretty good value there for him. How do you feel about this whole safety group? Yeah, I think we both liked Amani Hooker coming out. So, I mean, the other thing is Kevin Byard is like the most underrated safety in the NFL probably now. I mean, it helps, you know, when you play for the Tennessee Titans and you're a safety, um, you know, an underrated position on a team that doesn't get much publicity. Um, you just become underrated in that regard. But um, he's a playmaker. He picks the ball off. He forces fumbles. He makes tackles near the line of scrimmage. But he's a free safety who plays, you know, can play sideline to sideline, can play too high, everything like that. So, um he makes a lot of this work because um, when you look at it, they're obviously relying on him a lot in terms of, like I said, Malcolm Butler. Um, he could, you know, help some of that, help the explosive, uh, explosive plays come down a little bit. So um, Byard obviously helps with that, and then it helps with the fact that in Vaccaro and Amani Hooker, you have really just two box players. You know, Vaccaro is, you know, just a real, you know, he may mainly lines up on, you know slot receivers or tight ends who motion into the slot, everything like that. Same with Amani Hooker. And um, a lot of these teams where I really like their defenses um, that we've previewed so far, you know, you look into teams like the Patriots, the Ravens, um, teams that what I typically say when I'm talking about them is they can switch in the back end. I think that's huge now that you need players who can switch in the back end because it is all this quick space passing, shorter or smaller receivers getting quick space in short areas. That matters more um, now than it ever has. And you need to be able to switch a lot of these picks. It's, it's more like, I keep saying, it's more like basketball on the back end, like five on five and you have a free safety over the top. But because skill players are becoming more versatile, these back end players have to become more versatile. And when you have Bayard over the top and you can kind of, especially, I mean, like I said, with Logan Ryan, you can switch Logan Ryan, Amani Hooker and Kenny Vaccaro. You start to have something in terms of, you know, um, finding a solution for um, a lot of these, you know, exposing the middle of the field in the NFL. That's what everyone's trying to do these days. So um, that's where I do like that. I really like Amani Hooker. I think he's a smart player and he's more athletic than um, a, a lot of people realize. So um, I think he's going to get on the field early as a dime player and as a specialty player, but then will slide into that strong safety spot as Vaccaro becomes that specialty player. And then um, I'm not even going to try his last name, but Dane, he threw a touchdown uh, pass on special teams, is a super athletic safety, but... Um, just special teams player. And then Demon Webb from Ohio State has um, free safety upside. So does Dane. So, I mean, they have enough of the free safety in terms of their depth that they're committed to Hooker. And Hooker can play a little bit high as well if they need him to. But I think Hooker and Vaccaro with Logan Ryan switching picks in the box, um, it helps in terms of their defense. So that's that's about what they're looking for.
Parks, looking at their over-under win total, you're looking at eight shaded towards the under at minus 130. If you like over eight, plus 110. You could probably get a line seven and a half at some books, but how do you feel about that line? It's too close because I do have them right at eight and eight, or you know, maybe even seven and so um, at eight and a half, I would look closer to the under, but I, it's, it would be hard for me to look over. Um, and a lot of it comes down to, I have, you know, I have no idea what they're going to try and do on offense. Um, I do think they're going to commit to Derrick Henry, but I, I think that what that does is, you know, it takes, it limits the game and it takes, you know, plays away, but it, I don't think they're going to, you know, consistently put up these points on offense. And that's where I do have some questions in terms of their, of their defensive, um, line and being able to create pressure with limited depth and then their limited depth at cornerback um i start to see that you know if teams you know if patrick mahomes or you know whoever all these offenses do put up points against the titans are the titans able to clap back that's where you have some of those questions um i think this is a great learning year for marcus Mariota. um and like i keep saying i think that a lot of this is going to be built off of you know hookers helping um, you know, you got some players in uh, Harold Landry, you got Jeffrey Simmons, you know, young players who you can build this thing up from. But this year it's about getting answers. And you say, maybe we go eight and eight, but we got the answers that we wanted to get, um, you know, in terms of Derrick Henry, in terms of the offensive line, in terms of Mariota. And now we can go into this next offseason and like really hit this thing hard. So I do, I, I think they're going to, you know, I keep saying they're not going to fall off with Mariota. And because they got Tannehill, I think they're just going to stay afloat. But I don't think they're going to go much over eight wins. I think they're going to um, be more interested in figuring some things out than uh, maybe, you know, they're not going to sacrifice wins, but I think that that's kind of where they sit right now. Hey, Parks, do you have anything else you want to add in, re in uh, recap, or should we move on to the Colts next? Yeah, that's about it. We'll uh, head on to the Colts. All right, we'll catch you guys next time.